for that kid out there who feels like she's weird or she's different or she doesn't fit in anywhere. Yes, you do. I promise you do. You do. Stay weird. Stay different. And then when it's your turn and you are standing on the stage. Hello, hello, hello. This is Uncle Tickles and you are listening to New Dad. What is normal these days? I certainly don't fucking know. And uh, before we entered a pandemic in perhaps the most divided period in our country's history, going back to the 60s, we had a divorce rate of 50%. And while alternative lifestyles are still very much under attack, we also live in a time where there is more openness to them than ever before. So um, this list of variables adds up to an equation um, which equals normalcy being more of an illusion than ever before and that's all right because being weird and being different is uh, is okay and it's actually pretty awesome so i'm going to make an argument for my child being abnormal even though um you know we don't know what normal is anymore and and it's it wasn't abnormal because you know we were poor and it wasn't abnormal because my parents had me at a young age although those things were abnormal compared to a lot of the kids i was growing up with at the time uh, my childhood was unusual because of the shit my parents did um, you know for example uh, dinner time a regular occurrence would be for my dad to demand uh, a, a large pour of milk which is probably pretty normal for most people but in our house this would result in me and my siblings uh, objecting in horror um, he would just stare at us dead-eyed and, and ask for another refill as he slammed consecutive glasses of milk. And after dinner, it was every man and woman for themselves. The week would be left behind. Uh, my dad, to his credit, uh, would prey on the strongest. My brother and I uh, normally grab us, put us in a leg lock, and maybe now you're starting to understand why the milk was such a trigger. Yeah, he was lactose intolerant, and he would put our little toddler faces right up against his adult butthole and unleash an unholy fury of flatulence. Um, we cried and uh, tried with every ounce of strength to pry ourselves from his uh, Greek god-like legs. Um, to no avail, uh, for his part, he would laugh like a maniac. Um, one of the few times I actually saw the man truly happy. And it was a lifetime of shit like this and the heroin junkie babysitter that make for what I guess is non-traditional or an unusual upbringing. Um, I do promise that our guests today are not going to claim non-traditional upbringings because uh, their parents farted on them. No, we have two very fascinating people who coincidentally I met through the world of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones. I have uh, talked about the importance of having hobbies for balance and also as a good example for our children. But um, another benefit is they sometimes lead you to make friends with people you may not have met uh, had it not been for that hobby. And in this case, I think it's safe to say that today's guests, Aziz and River, uh, probably would not have crossed paths with me um, had it not been for the help of the wonderful George R.R. R. Martin. So thank you, George, for um, bringing me into these two people's lives. I have two people I can now call friends. Aziz is uh, the host of my favorite A Song of Ice and Fire podcast, History of Westeros. And River, like me, is an enormous fan of this podcast. River and I met actually in the History of Westeros Facebook group uh, where we were discussing different theories and analysis put forth by Aziz, Ashea, and Sean, uh, the good folks who run History of Westeros. So if you are a fan of Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire, I 
highly encourage you to go check out History of Westeros and, uh, and give them some support. Um, we do talk a little Game of Thrones in part two of this interview. So if you tuned in to hear Aziz flex his Westorian love muscle, I'll save you a little bit of time. You can go ahead and exit out of this one and wait for part two to be released. But if you do want to stick around, you're going to get to hear all about Aziz's upbringing and also learn about Rivers, which is uh, you know, quite an unbelievable tale in and of itself. I promise you won't regret sticking around for that one. Uh, this is an episode... I'm very excited to share and uh, was very excited to record. Um, I do think everyone who, who's tuning in will be richly rewarded. So part two coming shortly. Without further ado, River and Aziz, Propcos, take us away. Welcome back. This is Uncle Tickles. This is a very exciting evening for me because I get to talk to Aziz and River. They are here not to talk about A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, but we're talking about unusual upbringings. And Aziz, River, I'll let, uh, I'll let River you start. And please introduce yourself to all of New Dad's listeners and watchers out there. Hi, everybody. My name is River. I'm 42. I am the chieftain and the vulva of the Hellsgate Heathen Kindred in Missoula, Montana. I'm here to tell you a little bit about an unusual upbringing. That's right. And, and, and River, you are not a parent, correct? I'm not a parent, but what? I have co-parented uh, some of my former partner's children. Gotcha. Okay. Well, then we'll have to ask you about that a little bit later. And, and you and I met in a Facebook group uh, dedicated for a specific podcast within this this fandom's realm. And uh, and the host of that podcast is with us tonight, Aziz. Uh, please introduce yourself. Most of our listeners will probably recognize you, but uh, for those that don't, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Right on. Well, first off, thanks for having me, Tommy. It's good to be here uh, with Uncle Tickles. <laughs> um, yeah, so I... I'm a professional podcaster. I've been doing this for a few years now, and it's true that lots of us meet through the community. I have certainly made most of my friends through this community as well, so that's a great thing. And this is a good example of, of how we branch into things that have nothing to do with that or very little to do with that and talking about, you know, stuff on the personal side. And uh, so I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, something different for me. There's so many great content creators, uh, but, you know, History of Westeros was one of the first ones I found. So you guys have a, a you know, a very close place in my heart. You, you know, as a, as a moderator for the Facebook group, you know, it's been a pleasure to get to know you better and, and also the community through your podcast. Um, <laughs> go, go check it out if you are at all interested in Game of Thrones or the Song of Ice and Fire uh, novel series, check out History of Westeros, please do. 
Um, I promise you won't regret it. Um, but enough about A Song of Ice and Fire for now. We will uh, dig deeper into these unusual upbringings. And I want to kick it over to River first. Um, the title was very impressive. I, I don't know that a lot of our listeners may be familiar with uh, just uh, the practice of being a heathen. And even the word itself, I think, for many people, probably carries a, a negative connotation, which is uh, probably one of the big misunderstandings about it. So tell us a little bit about it. So, as I said, I'm the chieftain of the Hellsgate Heathen Kindred, and I'm also their vulva. Um, the chieftain is just an elected position that's basically, you know, uh, the first amongst equals. I'm not like any better than anybody else in the kindred or anything like that. Um, my voice doesn't like carry any more weight than anyone else's. Um, I'm just there to kind of help like negotiate what's happening in our group. And the kindred is a community of, you know, about a hundred plus people who are all dedicated to uh, heathenry, which is basically the religion of northern and central European peoples before the conversion to Christianity. Uh, you know, I assume you guys play or celebrated holidays. What did those look like? Absolutely. Yeah, um, we had eight major holidays a year and uh, they are equally interspersed. Um, so the summer solstice, the winter solstice, the equinoxes, and the cross quarters were observed in my household when I was young. As I've gotten older and more research has been done um, by reconstructionists, we've been able to determine some of the actual dates that bloats happened on. A bloat is like a specific kind of like sacrifice day okay. where we where we prepare animals and, and you know, um, some heathens have uh, make meat offerings instead of animals because okay. it's modern day. Heathenry absolutely allows for, you know, plant-based, what we consider, you know, uh, medicinal plants or the sacrament, which is hallucinogenic mushrooms. And um, the use of hallucinogenic mushrooms in particular is deeply tied into our religious experience, so much so that it's made its way into uh, modern day, you know, holidays. Um, the Santa Claus is yeah. the biggest, you know, stock, uh, example that stockings, I can think of. Stockings over the it's, fireplace, right? Yeah, well, you know, Odin is, is considered to be, you know, kind of a, a Santa Claus figure, but specifically what would happen is that, you know, a shaman would come on winter, around winter solstice at a time called Yule, and he would come, all the houses would be so snowed in that the only way to get in would be through a hole in the roof with a ladder, you know, because there's like 20 feet of freaking snow in Norway. And so the shaman would come down a ladder down into the house, and he would deliver Amanita mushrooms to everybody. And as you know, Amanita mushrooms are not safe to eat you know, like while they're fresh, um, you have to really dry them out very, very much so. And then they're hallucinogenic still, you know, but not as like, they're not going to cause problems, but they have to be really dry. And so the shaman was like entrusted with, you know, the task of like taking these mushrooms and, and drying them out properly, you know, or else they could make the community very sick. And then the community would eat the mushrooms together and, you know, they would have this, you know, sense of uh, 
camaraderie because the oxytocin and the you know other you know dopamine and things like that in their brains are being released by the mushrooms and um reindeer are you know jumping after eating these <laughs> mushrooms and twitching led to like the reindeer flying and like landing on the roofs because you know the the shaman comes and and it's you know the snow is up to the roof and you know so there's there's a lot of old traditions from heathenry that have made it into modern day you know uh culture and christian especially european christian western european christian faith and, 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 what, and what would you say are the major tenets of it um heathenry our basic tenets are, are animism which means we believe that everything even inanimate objects have like life force you know the force running through them and that those objects you know retain you know energy from what's around them you know by interacting with them so like if you go to a stone and you make you know a sacrifice there and you have a ritual there that stone is going to pick up the memory of that forever you know was it hard to fit in for you as a child yeah yeah <laughs> yeah my childhood was you know magical i was you know told to go find fairies <laughs> so you know my early childhood was really magical and um you know my parent was a vegetarian and we lived in los angeles and it was very posh to be alternative and so you know my mom discovered heathenry that way and quickly became very much you know in, in involved because you know, it, it has to do with like ancestry. We, we moved around a lot actually before ending up here in Montana. My mom was a single mother. My mom struggled a lot with uh, having two young children without a father for either of them. And being alternative was very difficult. Did you know your dad or was he around at all? Was he in, in the picture? So it's very complex. Early heathens and, you know, a lot of Christians were white supremacists. And my mom's family uh, was pretty damn racist. And my mom fell in love with the Jewish boy from down the street. And she was like 16 and they ran away. And she got pregnant and had me when she was 17. And his mom refused to let him marry my mom because my mom wasn't Jewish. And so I didn't really know my dad. Um, he wasn't around. He, you know, put eyes on me a couple times, but that's it. And I didn't get to know my grandmother until my 30s on his side. My uh, dad died of HIV during the uh, AIDS HIV crisis uh, in the 90s in Los Angeles. Wow. Well, um, hearing that, there's a lot of parallels to to our other guest Aziz and, and you know we're I, I want to circle back around and, and talk about how your mom kind of handled that that tough hand she was dealt um but before we do Aziz tell everyone a little bit about your upbringing because again there are so many parallels just listening to uh to River talk it, it's kind of it's kind of eerie yeah um my grandparents my mother's parents 
moved around a lot because my he, my grandfather was military and at age 17 also my mother had me and her my father was 18 at the time and he was in the here's another parallel to the the document that we've laid out for this episode they were in the children of god oh wow and uh <laughs> When I was when I was born, my mom was like, "Wait a sec." <laughs> she kind of snapped out of it, kind of to use almost her own words there, and was like, "No, I'm not doing this." And but he was still pretty into it. Uh, he didn't actually stick with it that long, but uh, technically, he was only around for like the first six months of my life at most. And then he went off and had more kids with other women. And uh, my mother was very disciplined because of the military upbringing, but she was also a musician. So she took more after my grandmother, who was an artist. So she had that, you know, combination of traits. And so I ended up moving around a lot as well because she was going to different schools, climbing the academic ladder to be a professor eventually and that meant and she was also pretty picky so at one point we like moved to a certain we uh we moved to vermont at one point and after about three weeks she was like nah (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't just the apartment it was the state of vermont she was just nah uh, I don't know if it was the state, but yeah, I think it was just a combination because it was Brattleboro, Vermont, pretty small spot, um, real small, really. Uh, that might have been part of what she didn't like about it because she didn't think that was necessarily ideal uh, for me either to be in such a, you know, not to inter- have very few people to interact with because that's already a problem, as I'm sure River could attest you have, unless you're thrust into some large community, you your parents don't have... Uh, they don't have people their age that they don't have kids also. Usually that, that's a real common thing, right? You have a lot of times you and your friends have kids within the same range. Even if it's not like the same year, it's within the same few years. But like if you're if you have a kid at 17, you you probably don't have a friend that has a kid. You know? You hope uh, not. You hope not, right? right? <laughs> so like anybody you know that has kids is probably several years older, if not like a lot older. And so you're not, you don't have that natural sort of village raising a child thing. Then that's compounded by moving around. So there's not even these existing friendships aren't there. Plus new friendships aren't that likely to form with, with existing mothers because they just aren't her in her age group. And so that kind of snowballs a bit. So uh, I definitely didn't have a lot of long-term friendships in my early life. They were usually would only last like a year or two because we, we didn't live anywhere more than until until I was in high school, I didn't live anywhere more than three years. Did you have a, every, Did you have a favorite place you lived? Uh, hmm, good question. Well, let me. I guess I could run through it real quick. We, I was born in Winston Salem, North Carolina, and then moved to College Park, Maryland. That was three years, and then Brooklyn, New York, for two years. And I went to different schools each of those two years. And then uh, then there was almost Vermont, and then that turned into Cincinnati, Ohio for three years. Then Bowling Green, Ohio, which is right outside Toledo, that was three years also. 
And then, and every summer was spent in Colorado. There was, because she played the music festival there every year. So there was also, basically, those were all not full years. Those were three seasons. Broken and down. then, right. <laughs> and then, uh, I guess maybe, maybe Tallahassee was my favorite. But I would, I'm just biased because that's the one I stayed in longer and got to develop lasting friendships. So um, they all had interesting things about them, but... Uh, yeah, Tallahassee was where I went to high school, and I and I was motivated to not go to college elsewhere because I didn't want to move anymore. I was tired of all that moving, so I stayed there and went to Florida State, and that worked. That was a, it worked out pretty well because I wanted to. Well, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was interested in music, and the classical guitar program was real. There is really good, and that is what I ended up doing. Um, but uh, mostly, it was just about not wanting to move. <laughs> I was like. Right here, and I wondered. As a result, did did you and your mom have a, a an especially close bond? Um, seeing that she didn't have a lot of people to relate to, and uh, and you guys were moving around, um, I imagine that that could be the case. Yeah, we did for sure. Uh, I didn't I didn't have siblings. Well, I technically I did. I just didn't know them until I was an adult. <laughs> but uh, I didn't grow up with siblings, and I didn't know my father's side of the family either. I did eventually meet them too, and that was that went well because they they don't like him either. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, so we were we were tight that way. We would drive. We had all these huge long car trips that we had every year because th- those those Colorado trips were by car. <laughs> so we would drive there with all the stuff in the car in the car and. Uh, listen to comedy tapes. We would listen to stand-up comedy tapes, and I swear that is part of why I'm a podcaster now, because I got influenced heavily by Steve Martin, George Carlin, Bill Cosby, the Smothers Brothers, and I, you know, just hearing them, I would memorize these their routines, and, and uh, that had a, a deep impact. Have you read Born Standing Up? Which is that Steve Martin's one? Yeah, Steve Martin. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't remember the title, but yeah, yeah that was really good. Fantastic. I read that on a flight. Really? Yeah, you're right. It's really good. I mean, it's it's really concise and you could read it in like it's two sittings or one oh, yeah. sitting. And I yeah, I was super interested in that. I didn't know he's so like uh hard working. Multi talented, <laughs> magic, music, yeah. comedy, everything. But the discipline he had is what struck me the most. That guy's discipline was like, okay, this is the most special thing about him, that he would do like 340 shows in a year. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. And never did. And like tried drugs like once. I was like, ah, I'm not into that. Yeah. And, and it was like never tempted again. Like, yeah. how is it that easy? How did he put it? He, he didn't like his performance on it. So he's like, no, don't need to do it. Yeah, I, I wasn't as good. Dedicated. Yeah, just it was like this is the thing that matters most. If it affects this bottom line, I'm not into it. Yeah, so super focused. That's really interesting. So that's that's kind of inspiring in that way too. And on one hand, it's like un- legendary how disciplined and, and focused he was. On the other hand, it's like if you can grab two percent of that for yourself, then you've improved a lot. <laughs> so yeah, he's inspiring. <laughs> I guess I didn't know this about River. So you, you know, we could probably apply this these next two questions to both of you. Um, you know, did, did you feel any pressure to kind of be without a, a dad in the picture to kind of be the man of a house or to grow up a little faster than, than maybe a, a normal kid your age? Uh, I guess. Yeah. No, 
They didn't. Um, there was it was almost more the opposite. They they probably um, my grandparents were generous. So like even though we moved a lot and I didn't I was maybe underparented. I didn't have um, we didn't like lack for the basics. You know she had a we had car and all those things even though someone normally in her situation may have lacked for those things she didn't because she was also an only child so she was you know not spoiled but they were in, fi in fine shape and had no one else to take care of and ditto my mother so you know even though she'd normally in that situation she'd have been struggling she wasn't so um i wasn't there was no pressure on me to grow do my fast own yeah <laughs> Now I was interested in having my own money. I did start working, like doing my own stuff really early. I, I started selling newspapers when I was 12 and then just had lots of small jobs like that. Um, but it was just, it was purely so I could buy stuff. It wasn't for need. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely for hobbies and games. It was not for necessities. Um, so, uh, so that was pretty, that was lucky. That was a, definitely on the privileged side but um also formative it's super relevant because i my you talk about having a, the warrior background ditto my family but it was like a long line of all the men in my family were military including confederates there was one time we were at dinner and my, they tell me the story this table you're eating on you know the my your great 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 grandmother like stopped the the Yankees from taking it I'm like oh <laughs> interesting <laughs> so luckily there's also like they were there's also like lots of evidence that they're like progressive for their era you know they were like good in that sense so I'm like okay well that's cool but, um so uh so that's yes yeah, so there's like this long tradition of military there I have inherited all since I'm the only child of an only child I inherited all this like military stuff all these like metals and yeah trinkets and gear yeah you you know what i'm talking about <laughs> and <laughs> so it's but it wasn't there was never any pressure on me to do that i'm sure my grandfather would have been thrilled if i did my mother would not have been because she uh you know probably was wiser about it you know <laughs> but also they didn't put any pressure on her to do it um i think it was more of the the men in my family had that pressure on them and she didn't have any of that she was pressured to be disciplined and to work hard but not to be in the military specifically um and you know my grandfather was in fought in korea and vietnam so there may have been some of like yeah that was that wasn't great <laughs> yeah yeah the, not the most supported wars yeah uh, well it, it, and it's interesting from my standpoint uh you know i think of it just from my own and the reason i just assume that is uh you know i had both parents in my house you know both my parents are still married and because of the them being young, um, struggling, having to work a lot, uh, you know, I we, we talked in one of our episodes about me being a, a latchkey kid at, at the you know first grade and walking home with my brothers and sisters and uh, and being home alone from really uh, like three o'clock in the afternoon till about six p.m. Uh, and it, you know it was. I, you know, I was cooking them meals. I was making sure, you know, no one was really getting uh, out of line. And uh, as a result, I, you know, I, I had a great childhood still. I would classify it as that, but I do feel that I had to grow up a little fast. So, um, you, you know, it, it's always interesting when you hear 
a situation where, uh, you know, maybe someone was even dealt, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say a worse hand than, than our family, but, you know, they, you know, maybe had less means and, and were able to, to still make it work. So that's, that's encouraging. And I think if there are single parents listening, you know, we're, we're going to talk here in a second about how, uh, you know, Aziz's mom was able to, to, to still allow him to have a childhood and feel like a kid and not have to grow up too fast. Um, it, it also sounds like Aziz just from, you know, your description of your mother, um, she was young, but she was also driven. She was uh, a talented musician. She was, you said, trying to climb the academic, the academic ladder there. Um, so perhaps it wasn't, again, the, the same as my experience where my parents were young. And as a result, I was exposed to, uh, you know, parties and drugs and alcohol at, at an early age. Um, maybe sounding like not the case for you. Was that, is that an accurate statement? Yeah, so it's a good point because in some thinking more about growing up quickly, I didn't have to in the sense of like having to make my own way financially, even though I was did so anyway. But in terms of growing up emotionally, yeah, that I did have to do more on my own because my mother being that age wasn't super wise about it herself. I mean, she had the the discipline was academic. The discipline was like waking up before me as a baby <laughs> and practicing for four hours because I slept. I was a baby who slept in. She would wake up at five and practice for four hours. So oh God, that's, nice. a great, that's a great example to set that I never lived up to anything like that. But certainly, I mean, I, let alone waking up that early. I am a night person, as you can see from my baby's habits, my habits <laughs> of baby, rather. So, uh, but yes, yeah, she, she was gone a lot. I had to be other places a lot. I was on my own a lot. So I had to, in, by myself. So I had to deal with that and make my own, you know, take care of myself in that sense. Like go through the effort. Right. There wasn't a struggle for having things, but I did have to do it myself. Like I had, I cooked my own dinners like half the week and things like that. Gotcha. So, you know, no big deal, but certainly uh, significant, you know, relevant or whatever. Um, for sure. But, but you, you didn't, you weren't. You didn't have a hand holding you the whole way. Right, right. Exactly. It was neither a struggle nor was it like super, super easy. And compared to like the people I was around, I saw a lot more structure with other families. Not not more structure, but more... um, Consistency? uh, Maybe more consistency, but more like presence, right? Because there's there's two of them. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And and let alone uh, siblings. So like a lot of times that's the thing, like you said, in both y'all's cases, you had younger siblings, and that that automatically gives you some responsibility. I think if you're even a little bit decent, and obviously that's setting the bar pretty low. Most people take more responsibility. It sounds like both of y'all in that category took a lot of responsibility for your siblings, but you know, I just didn't have that. Yeah. I didn't have to think about it all. Uh, all we had was you know cats or something. So, um, so it's a different kind of approach to it although i did have my mom did have long-term boyfriends that were sort of like father figures but that's you know that's a different topic i suppose well i guess uh, I, I guess it does kind of go back to the man of the house did you feel protective uh as, as a young guy growing up with these long-term boyfriends or were they just long-term enough that you felt comfortable my mom was just so tough i didn't have i never felt like a need to my, be protective yeah, no, it was just never a thing. I just don't recall. That's like, there are other things I can recall that weren't perfect, but that, yeah, she just always seemed like, I mean, she did want to be a professor. She had that, um, 
in charge kind of attitude anyway. She's small, but you know, one of those people that just can dominate when she wants to. Um, and like, don't get on her bad side. It's rare that you will. She is usually really nice, but yeah, she can turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my yaya. Sounds like my yaya. And, it, and she probably got that from, from her parents up, you know, the dis like her, my, her, her mother was, very strict and her father was the military military so from a disciplinarian background even if he wasn't as much himself specifically but they were also a couple that like they met in high school my grandfather had like two other girls he dated in his life (laughs) so that's a total like they couldn't relate to each other on anything like that right so there was no like uh, a lot of times you, you think about like where your lessons come from because of the experiences that your own family had before you, there was none of that to pass down. None of them had normal relationship advice for me because none of them had normal relationships, right? They had all, all their resume of relationships was either like, well, I have no experience at all because I married my high school sweetheart or (laughs) my mom's like, well, I am just too different of any sort of Thing to model after because yeah i had a kid at 17 and then then you're a single mom and then then what what advice does a single mom have for me right like that's a totally different world yeah. <laughs> unrelatable yeah so like i can only respect that and be like boy that must be hard but i it's it's never it's, it's not applicable to me directly you know I, obviously it's like i have more respect if i'm if i was dating someone and i'm like oh they're a single mom i would i'd approach it differently so it definitely has that impact now river i, I want to ask you about uh being exposed to some of these more adult type of you know i i guess concepts ideas uh things but was it something <laughs> that you in, in heathenry were, were we that you were exposed to or maybe it was even not Uh, absolutely not related Um, okay yeah please jump into it absolutely so i mean heathenry has you know kind of also a dark side there's uh a side of heathenry that is really racist there's a side of heathenry that is associated with like black metal bands and biker gangs and my mom went from being like the nature heathen to the biker gang heathen when I was about nine years old. And so she married, you know, a guy in a biker gang who was extremely racist. And he basically ruled our our household with an iron fist uh, until I was about 14. And um, I mean, there there was a lot of physical things that were happening in the house. It's one of the reasons why I'm a pacifist now. Like if I can't resolve something with words and a calm demeanor, then I'm a failure, you know, kind of thing. Um, strictly because we had had some serious, you know, um, abuse happen in our household for, for a few years while my mom was attached to this man. Um, you know, there, uh, Eventually, my mom slipped into intravenous drug use and severe neglect of her children. And it led to my grandmother having to take care of me, my grandfather having to take care of me and my brother. Um, and, you know, for a while there, it was, it was really bad. I ran away from foster homes 
multiple times in the in the few years that that I was in foster care. You're growing up in this uh, culture where the warrior is is valued, and you're you know you're the eldest. You've kind of talked about this you know early motivation to look out for your siblings and um, grow up fast. Um, you know, so I imagine that this this five year span with this with, you know with this abusive gentleman was even especially challenging for you during you know considering the how that clashed with your upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. It just it seems you know it was such a a drastic shift from what I had known. Um, we were vegetarian before. Now we eat meat. You know, before we could say whatever we wanted, now we have to be careful about what we say. You know, before we could eat whatever we wanted, and now you have to ask. You know, there was a lot of rules, whereas in my early childhood, like I said, it was really magical. There wasn't really, you know, much going on there, you know, that, that was, like, restrictive. I played with goats and, and, you know, played in the woods and picked flowers, and, you know, and now all of a sudden there's, like, you know, people up for days in my living room taking apart motorcycles, you know. My stepdad once came home covered in blood, head to toe, you know, no explanation, had been gone for three days, you know. Um, so things got really dark and really ugly, and then they took, you know, my brother and I away, and, uh, you know, I ended up eventually back in the care of my grandparents who, you know, were not really prepared to, to take care of children again. They had adopted my mother when, you know, she was an infant, and both of my parents were actually adopted. My father was a foundling, and my mother was adopted out of the hospital. Um, but it, it was very difficult for my grandparents. They didn't want to raise two more young children again, and so I, you know, went and got uh, emancipated. And by the time that I got emancipated, my parents, uh, my, my mom and my stepdad got clean and started putting back, you know, their life together. Um, my mom got really, really religious again and much, much more so into heathenry uh, than ever before, you know, like like deeper into the into the culture, deeper into, you know, everything to kind of replace that, you know, hole that the drugs were filling, you know, and, um, you know, my stepdad eventually left the picture. And, you know, it took a lot of years of counseling, you know, to deal with that. And, um, you know, I, I've been through a lot of changes in my life, obviously, and, and the word that, that kind of defined my life for a long time was vicissitudes. It's, uh, I don't know that word. Means, yeah. It means rapid change through force. Okay. And that just defined my life, you know, for a really long time, and, and I had a hard time coping, you know, and I... I did a lot of uh, soul searching and I did a lot of psychedelics um, and, you know, I avoided, um, you know, I avoided anything that was, that was related to any of that darkness and kind of worked through what that was all about, you know, with like some really good counselors and, 
you know, eventually was able to come to like some closure. You know, after hearing that, do you ever have any dreams or intentions of being a parent? Oh God, no. <laughs> no, no, we have a, we have an English bulldog. Um, <laughs> I have no intention of ever becoming a parent. My brother has four beautiful children who I love and uh, love being around, but I have no desire, and neither does my fiance, uh, <laughs> desire to have children. We, we're selfish, <laughs> and like we like we like uh, our our nerd stuff too much to have kids. So, yeah. Well, uh, I, I kind of want to bring it back to to uh, you know Aziz at, at this point. Um, we, you talked about moving around a lot. What was your mom doing to help, to help, I guess, alleviate this, um, unusual upbringing, uh, you know, so some of the challenges that come along with being a single parent without having a dad around. Things she did to alleviate, I guess that would be, she would enroll me or encourage me to be involved in like leagues or, uh, community sports, things like that. Um, I did some after school programs thing uh things of that nature and that was good because that was also necessary for her in terms of her schedule and i would also end up at a lot of friends houses for the weekend she would call around to different parents that i, were, I was friends with and would uh you know tell them you know she had to travel for work or go somewhere and you know could i stay with them for the weekend so i i had a lot of interesting like weekends of living with someone else's family because i would do you know all the stuff they did since it's a whole weekend which as a, on a weekend that includes going to church for most families especially in tallahassee um so but they would be different you know and there would be all these different varieties and this also would extend to be me me being in middle school so i went to you know, I went to synagogue. I went to um, a variety of Christian churches, including Korean church, which was definitely the least interesting <laughs> because I couldn't understand. It was all in Korean, right. you know, <laughs> like anything about the actual content. I just could not perceive a single bit of it. Uh, so just looking around, trying to take cues. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, OK, they're all, all right, the hands. Yeah. OK, yeah. But uh, so that was interesting, just like seeing how these different families live. So that was a, a, a different slice of, of you, you know, it's not just like most kids, you go over to their house for a few hours, or maybe you do a sleepover every once in a while. I would be there for, you know, the whole, uh, like two nights, or maybe even three, I might even go to school with them on, you know, because we'd go to the same school. Uh, and so that was, that, you know, that was good. That wasn't a bad thing. It was unusual. But uh, yeah, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't bad. Because none of those families were, you know, problematic or anything. Nothing I could think of was like, oh, it's too, it's, didn't work out, but she stuck me with them. So I think she was pretty careful about that. She would talk to them, you know, and she had a pretty good sense of, um, like, she's pretty good at judging people. Right. Uh, like, she could, she had a good, just a good intuition about people. Uh, and to, you know, back to your earlier point, I don't think I've really answered it that clearly about being around drugs and alcohol. Yeah, no, there was like none of that. <laughs> I mean, that, they were like super disciplined about that. My grandmother became an alcoholic over time. Uh, she was like self-medicating and then just became, you know, a heavy drinker. 
but that was i mean that's it my mom like one time had a little bit of pot with me and was just she was hilarious but she's the way she's like i'm high naturally i'm like yeah you pretty much are uh so um it just and and so her yeah so she stayed away from that wasn't part of her like it wasn't going to be a good thing for her to be you know being a disciplined musician classical musician type which is highly focused on practicing a lot <laughs> you know you got those are some disciplined people so it just was not a good compatible lifestyle at all um worked out more my, it is more for me but not for for them i remember her being you know strong about a lot of things but not forcing a lot of them on me that was something like she was vegetarian she went vegetarian like when i was kind of young not like super, maybe like around 12 but she didn't push it on me even a little she was just like yeah i don't you know i'm not gonna eat meat anymore so when I prepare food, there's not going to be meat in it, but you can eat whatever, you know, you can get what you want. You can make your own food and, you know, she'd still pay for the groceries and I could make my own food. So that was, that was fine. You know, no big deal there. Uh, and I did try, I've been vegetarian a few times in my life. So I guess that I have to assume that that had an impact on me in some way. When I was really young, she would take me to rehearsals. So that included playing in, you know, she would be in, uh, in like an orchestra pit. And so I'm like a four-year-old kid out and there's nobody there. Right. This, you know, it's a rehearsal. So, but they're playing in the actual orchestra pit. So I'm just running around with my GI Joe or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, just hanging out there. So this is, you know, kind of unusual to be there. Most people, most kids would have been at home. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I think like River, for different reasons or some overlap, I was also very adaptable because they would always, they would just have to put me somewhere. I would have to be like, yeah. okay, what are we going to do with the kid? You know, he's okay, he's okay by himself. He'll just play with his toys. Or like I would read a lot of books, right? And that was, I could guess I could credit that too, now that we mentioned it. Uh, so, yeah, so that's the thing, like having them having to find something to do with me or something for me to do while adult things happen that... You know, there wasn't the structure for me to be in a where a normal in a normal situation, whatever normal means. But right, exactly. Uh, so it wasn't bad. Like these, I, I don't look at this as bad, right? right? Um, it's just different, and, and I guess that has its own value in seeing the world differently. You, there's there's lots of advantages to having a different perception of things. That's where a lot of um, a lot of opportunity in life comes from if you're like someone who sees things differently. Sometimes it just makes you sound crazy. <laughs> True. But sometimes you can like, um, you know, make a living at it or something. Like. <laughs> or even just from the simple uh, benefit of understanding, right? If you think differently, a lot of times yeah. it's easier for you to understand, or, you know, a lot of other people's plights or, or situations. That's, That's true. Like I didn't see a lot of people struggle so much as I was just in a lot of people's situations, like living in their house for a few days at a time. I would just experience this and and sometimes it was negative like families fight you know yeah. and you see some things are like ooh, that now especially looking back now i could think of some of these parents were like "Ooh, he was that was some bad parenting you know <laughs> by, that, by that father there that mother they were i mean i think oh yeah they were really strict catholics so kind of makes sense their family is probably really strict with them and et cetera et cetera you think how far back it goes and um so yeah i think that does give you an appreciation for not only a, the adaptable thing is true, but also you experiencing a variety of other people's lifestyles. Um, even if they're still kind of in a narrow range, like I wasn't exactly spending 
live, you know, spending these weekends with a variety of socioeconomic situations, right? These were pretty much all middle class, like upper middle class, middle class white families, right? So that's on that hand, it wasn't diverse in that sense, but it was more diverse than living in one household. <laughs> For sure. Correct me if I'm mistaken. Um, I thought I remember you at one point saying that, you know, a lot of your mom's friends, which this would make sense, right? She didn't have a lot of uh, parents that were her age. So a lot of her friends were younger females around her age. So, you know, you were surrounded, I would assume, by a lot of younger females. Did you find yourself having an easier time getting along with uh, women or girls growing up than guys or? No, no. Um, the opposite, probably. I liked, you know, I got along really well with my mother, but I was always like, not with, I didn't get, I did not get along with other, with other, like, a, with like adult women, mm -hmm. but my mom didn't have, like, that never happened. I never had friends. My mom, my mom's friends were not like other parents that just, she just made friends that were Students, other women. Other women and they, just, they would have, yeah, like, she just didn't have a lot of friends when I, when she was younger. That's, I think that's really just the bottom line is that she just uh, had other, you know, she had other students, like, she had, colleagues that were kind of friends and people she played music with like she played in quartets like side side gigs and those were kind of her friends i guess but they were none of them had kids um so and then she was once she was a professor everyone that she did have friends that had kids but that's because <laughs> were all her friends were now 15 20 years older so those people were, were adults uh so it wasn't you know they were maybe had a similar path but they were far, they weren't, you know, synced up on the chronology of those paths. Like she was, you know, earlier on that path. Um, so I guess, but I didn't, um, I, I, I mostly had, uh, yeah, I didn't really have female friends when I was younger that much um, until I, you know, until I started like dating or whatever, but I was mostly shy around women um maybe because my mother was such a strong personality i don't know i never like had that like dug up by a therapist or anything but it kind of, <laughs> kind of makes sense <laughs> but uh so I, I don't know i guess that i got over that mostly but i'm not sure um it's mostly been like a, yeah i have a lot of re respect for especially mothers single mothers but I don't, it didn't translate into me like having um, early life friendships with a lot of women, but I do now I'm more, I have more friendships with women than, than guys now as I'm older, uh, uh, at least ones that have formed within the last like 10 years. Well, there you go. That's because of mom. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, so, uh, River, it sounds a little bit like towards the end, when I say towards the end, I mean, uh, you know, from the time you were nine to 14 your mom did not do a great job of maybe uh, mitigating some of the, the challenges that come with a, an unusual upbringing. Um, yeah, my mom stopped coping. <laughs> before that, where where she, where, where it wasn't that way, where she was helping you oh, yeah. cope with, with, you know, with these things. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Talk about specifically yeah. what she did to help, you know, when she was in her good phases. Oh yeah, you know, my mom, uh, you know, before my mom started using drugs. Uh, my mom was a very attentive mother. You know, she was very caring. She cared a great deal about my education. I watched uh, a lot of PBS as a child. Um, I watched a lot of documentaries, which is something that I still do. 
I was taught how to read very early. Um, growing up in Los Angeles, we had a swimming pool, so I, you know, she taught me how to swim very early. Um, and being a heathen, she also, you know, had these wild parties called symbols and you know it's where people drink mead <laughs> and uh get just you know kind of schnockered and um you know it was it was definitely a wild time and i i rem i have some very good memories you know and and with some really great people you know and and there were reasons why my mom used drugs my mom lost hope because my mom secretly identified as a man. Um, my parent is transgender and has actually now gone through uh, surgery to become, you know, the man that, that my parent wants to be. And so my mom is now my dad. And um, that's you know, pretty unusual, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and I had to come to terms with that. You know, I always knew as a child that my mom identified that way. Okay. We are going to end part one of the Aziz and river interview. Now I know holy fucking cliffhanger tune in for part two, where we'll finish hearing about Aziz and rivers upbringings as well as talk a little A Song of Ice and Fire, which I have a feeling uh, is what a lot of you are tuning in for. So uh, that will be part two, as I said. Should be a few days, uh, Monday at the latest. Appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate River and Aziz spending so much time talking to me for this episode. And uh, hope you guys stay safe. Uncle Tickles loves you. Prop cause. Take us away.